Hey guys, Montel here, and thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Our guest today is the president and the CEO of at Marijuana Business Daily, a Colorado-based business news outlet for professionals in the recreational and medical cannabis space and industry, and the most trusted B2B business-to-business news source for cannabis in the United States and Canada since 2011. He earned an MBA in international business from Regis University and has over a decade of business reporting and editorial experience. He is a legendary journalist, one of America's foremost cannabis industry analysts, and the first journalist in the United States to focus exclusively on covering the business of cannabis. Chris Walsh, thanks so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel today. Thanks for coming on the show, sir. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk uh, the cannabis business. Absolutely. I'm excited to talk to you, too, because in the last couple of days, I've been doing a couple of podcasts that have thrown me a little bit uh, with the way the attitudes are about cannabis are in this country today. I'm just wondering, first of all, let's back up for a second. What what got you interested in the cannabis industry? You were working in what? South Korea uh, as a foreign business editor editor for a foreign newspaper, and then you came back to the States and then were approached to take this job on? Yeah, I had uh, spent my early career in mainstream journalism as a reporter and editor at newspapers. And when I came back from Korea, Wanted to get out of mainstream journalism, didn't see a huge opportunity, saw where that industry was going and the struggles it faced. And so was re-envisioning what, what I wanted to do. And uh, the two co-founders, Anna Cassandra, were looking for, had a post up on a journalism job site for someone to launch what became Marijuana Business Daily and really to uh, provide really objective professional business insights and news and analysis to what was an emerging industry that didn't have it at that time. So it appealed to me. Um, you know, I, I left for South Korea and was a business reporter in Denver. There were no dispensaries when I left in 2009. Came back two, two years later and there were more dispensaries than Starbucks in Denver. So I saw what the industry was all about and what it needed. And, and it appealed to me and, and kind of took off from there. Now, I mean, tell me a little bit about the distribution of the, is it. A, it's an online magazine and a print magazine. Yeah, we have Marijuana Business Daily and Hemp Industry Daily uh, online sites that really track the industry from a news perspective and provide analysis. And then we have a print magazine, Marijuana Business Magazine, and then we do market research as well on our publication side. So reports tracking the growth of the industry and the trends and retail sales and all of that. Have you had difficulty with distribution? Because I know a lot of these online outlets, you know, literally, you know, try to clamp down on anything that appears to have any promotional stance in the cannabis space. How do you get around that? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I know a lot of companies struggle with that. As a media publication, we haven't run into it as much. You know, we've been a member of the Associated Press. I remember that was a big deal for us years ago when they accepted us in, into their fold. So as, as more news and analysis, we don't face those same pressures, but we've we've experienced it too on social media. With you, can't, you know, there were times where you couldn't find us on it or you couldn't use marijuana when you were, uh, you know, putting it into the search engine to find us. It's still an issue for a lot of companies today, but we, you know, with our traction of 10 years, I think we've got a pretty good reach and have gotten around some of those issues. I mean, I've been, I've been doing this this podcast for now a year and a half, and and still we run into issues, you know, on a regular basis where, and some of it is no rhyme or reason. I mean, I think if I had one question to ask you to begin with, since we're now looking at a nation that's sitting where with, you know, what is it, 35 states plus the District of Columbia all have some sort of cannabis law in place 
Several of them are recreational. Several of them are just medical. Don't you, and, and, you know, lots of states are jumping on board because they, you know, are sniffing and, and trying their best to see if they can get a piece of this tax revenue. It's almost counterintuitive that they wouldn't allow people to even just talk about the product that they've authorized for sale. Yeah, that's absurd. I, I mean, it's it's so absurd. And the, the the landscape has changed markedly in the 10 years we've been in this. And it's it's been all positive. Um, and I think that, you know, to to still be in an environment 10 years later with all the states, as you mentioned, dozens of states that have legalized, including, you know, red states, blue states, the south, the northeast, the west, all over the country. And then you have Canada federally legalizing. And then you have more than two dozen countries also legalizing medical cannabis to be in this situation where we face these restrictions uh, and and just blocking of, of any type of advertising in some cases. And then, of course, banking and it's still being federal legal. It's just a ridiculous situation, especially when you look at the public support for medical and increasingly recreational. Um, it, it's still a lot has surprised me along the way over the last 10 years, including how much the industry has grown. Did not expect we'd be where we are today. But I also thought somewhere along the way, the dam would have cracked already and we would have normalized the business a bit more than we have. Well, did you feel like, I mean, we have grown. I, there's no ifs and buts. The, the industry has grown, especially over the course of the last year through this whole COVID pandemic. We found that, you know, there are several states in this country right now. Where there are more people employed as, you know, in the cannabis business in the state than there are civil servants in their state. So, we and we've also seen that you know this seems to be almost recession proof in the sense that you know sales are up almost across the board. Um, you know people are and and burgeoning businesses are popping up from delivery services to grows and other test facilities. It just seems crazy to me that we're living in a time where again we have this new administration that claimed that it was going to address this issue in its first hundred days, but we're coming up on that hundred days and they've not set a peep other than to fire people in their administration that didn't disclose their previous cannabis use, which is really baffling to me. I mean, does this not throw you to a, for a loop or make you go, Hmm, I wonder what the heck is going on here. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, that, what, we, what you just mentioned was, was pretty shocking to me. And I don't, you know, we don't know the full story and the white house is trying to spin it, but regardless, it looks pretty bad. And it doesn't seem like it, it's an overly friendly administration based on something like that. Uh, Vice President Harris has been pretty vocal about uh, loosening laws on marijuana. So we're hoping that she is the sage advisor to Biden that gets him around and other advisors around really moving this forward. And you've got Schumer, too. Uh, Let me not only to cut you off, but I, I find it hard to trust Vice President Harris when during her tenure as the attorney general, she put more brown and black people, people of color in prison than her predecessor did during a period of time when there was legalization in the state. So absolutely. And I, and you know, there seems to be almost, again, there's this two fork split tongue thing happening here. You know, I'll say what I need to say to get elected. Then once I get elected, screw you. And um, I, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I know you bring up a fantastic point. I think that that is very worrisome. Um, I will say that, you know, people have evolved in cannabis and, and, and their views on it uh, rapidly. So, uh, I think we should look at people's history on it. And that's a big portion of how we view them and their approach to it. Um, but also, you know, realize that people have have kind of had a mindset change in a very short period of time. We've seen it across the board. Even the general public has 
people that eight years ago thought, you know, marijuana was the devil weed are now using it themselves or their grandma is. So things change. But yeah, I think that is worrisome. And it's hard to tell if anything is really going to be pushed through and how strong that support really is, or is it just lip service? And I don't have an answer to it. I do hope that people like Chuck Schumer uh, and, and the fact that he is waving a flag for this industry and making it one of his top priorities uh, is significant. Now, whether that leads to anything, we don't know, or whether that can sway others, we're not sure. But there's there's more positive than I've seen now since we've been in this industry for the potential for federal change. But there's there's it's no guarantee. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name is Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. Absolutely. Now, you know, your your approach is more of a B2B approach. Do you guys do any, you know, articles on just education to see if you can educate the B2C? Because I think that that's probably, to, from my perspective, has been the one thing that has been really lacking in this industry. This industry has spent this first, this last five years doing as much as it could possibly do to, to you know, support the B2B idea, but forgot the fact that you know, it's the consumer out there, just like in the pharmaceutical industry, pharmaceutical industry that drives new pharmaceuticals, you know, the approach of letting the, the consumer understand that there's an alternative out there. They go to their doctor. The doctor then has sales reps that come to their office and put product in their office. That doesn't seem to be happening as much in this industry as it has in other industries. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think our our focus uh, as a business in this industry has always been on the B2B side, to your point. We did that mindfully because we've always felt we need to, to help professionalize the industry and to help fuel where it's going and do it in a responsible way. So even from the first you know event we held in 2012 in an old Masonic Lodge in Denver with 400 people, um, you know, we were, we were, I was wearing a suit and tie when I spoke that was different in the industry. It doesn't need to be suits. The only reason I bring that up is that we were trying to help this industry gain more acceptance by helping the industry grow in the right ways and the professional ways that put a good, um, shine on it for outside so that we can f- help fuel laws and, uh, and change. And so we've stuck to that core, uh, along the way. And we have considered that kind of B2C and educating consumers, but have stayed in the business side. You're absolutely right. I think there's a lot of information for consumers out there, but it's a varying quality. And uh, a lot of it isn't great. Uh, there are others who focus on that end. And, you know, we might go in that direction down the road. But for now, we're, we're, we're really focused on the business side. Yeah, I mean, I think there is a lot of information there. You can call. If you, if you have the mindset of investigating and researching and, and reading, you can get the information you need. But the majority of the public doesn't do that. Yeah, the majority of the public waits for, you know, the ad about whatever on TV. And that's what drives them to go and ask a question. Um, I think it was a perfect case in point when it comes to this, you know, industry. You know, it took Sanjay Gupta, uh, you know, that uh, that special that they did 
which was on um, CBD that literally lit up, you know, uh, the internet and got people to say, hmm, I wonder if that might work for my child. And it, it seems to me lately, I've just been disappointed in the fact that, you know, there aren't venues or there aren't avenues to go down to get that information called together, put right in your face the way it should be to, to help this industry really blow up the way it should. Yeah, and I wouldn't disagree with you there. I do think there's um, a lot of opportunity to help in a, in a, a different way than it's being done now, both patients and, and regular consumers of cannabis to really understand aspects of, of marijuana and of CBD and all the other things coming down the road. And so there have been a considerable amount of articles written lately about various things from flavonoids to terpenes to, you know, the fact that, you know, we have, you know, I think wrongfully, and I actually even spoke to Sanjay about this uh, personally, about the fact that, you know, did he think that his special did a service to the industry? And he said he did, but they overemphasized the idea of CBD, CBD, CBD as a holy grail. And they know that now. I mean, we, there's CBG, there's CBN, there's the, the variants, there's the active forms of some of these cannabinoids that have just as much medicinal viability as any of the ones that we've looked at to date. But that information is just slowly trickling out. And I just think that, you know, if there were venues, but again, because of the way the laws are written, that you can't even say the word marijuana. It's kind of insane to try to figure out how do you educate people if you can't say the word. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, you bring up a good point about, you know, what's coming next and the the increased interest and demand and CBG and CBN and all those, um, you know, other compounds, I think is fascinating. And you are starting to see the industry embrace that. And it's kind of where the demand is is coming up first. And the industry hasn't really been pushing that, but people have been wanting that. And they've been wanting to know more about it. One of the challenges is there isn't a lot of research on it, just like marijuana in general because it's been blacklisted for so long, more or less, you know, by, for, for, by the government for research dollars and all that. So um, I think we're going to see a quick shift in kind of that educational side and, and hopefully some research to help get the information people need to make good decisions about what will work for them for whatever reason. I, I think some of that research, like usually, I mean, and a lot of people think that, that there's not a lot of research out there, but you'd be shocked. I think we all are could be shocked at the amount of research that has been done, funded by the U.S. government, you know, which is really this this kind of oxymoron, you know, all the work that Mashulam did back in the 90s, you know, we put money into that. All the, uh, you know, we were funding his research in Israel. We were giving him 50 million bucks a year to, you know, go down that path to find out and identify things like the endocannabinoid system and where, you know, the receptor cells are and where what, what's antagonized by various versions of cannabinoids. The research is out there. I think, you know, it's now a matter of finding outlets that will allow the research to be disseminated. I mean, again, like I said, we've had some issues here where, you know, I have to, I'm not being careful to be careful, but, you know, I want to make sure that we stay more on the vein of information and education. I don't do promotion. And, you know, that's allowed us to kind of navigate a lot of the outlets that carry podcasts. But, you know, I can make a, a, a simple mistake. And the next thing you know, somebody wants to bump one of my podcasts off for some crazy reason. I have no idea yeah. why. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, being having been at the pulse, I mean, you were considered, you know, one of the, you know, foremost authorities on the cannabis business in this country today. Just 
if you could maybe take a look, give us take, take us on a little journey of where we were, say five years ago, and where we are today. Uh, yeah, so, sure, sure. I'll go. I'll go just briefly back five years before that. But when we first started, uh, I remember going to an industry group in Denver of, of leaders here. Again, the industry was very fledgling in a very uncertain legal state. And it was just for kind of executives and entrepreneurs, a very select group that would meet regularly. And, and they let me come as we started this publication. And I went to the restroom and uh, guy, one of the guys in the urinal next to me says, you seem, you seem all right, man, but you're not an FBI agent, are you? And so there was, you know, these were people running businesses in that time in 2011. That was the, that was kind of the atmosphere, right? You didn't know who was who and if someone was tracking you or whatever. And then, you know, five years later, um, you know, 2015, 16, you had mainstream players getting in. Uh, You didn't see a ton of crackdowns unless you were really, really doing something, you know, wrong, like diverting to the illegal market. And uh, and but but it was still fledgling. I mean, Rack was still an experiment. We didn't know, you know, it seemed to be, um, you know, the sky wasn't falling. There were good sales uh, and people were starting to embrace it. And but the atmosphere was a lot different. And, you know, when we our MJ BizCon, our big conference, uh, when we tried to get keynote speakers from outside the industry, like business people who could share their insights, it didn't even have to be on cannabis, but share their insights that would be relevant to other business owners. Um, you know, no one, no one was interested because of that stigma around cannabis. And so just to, just to kind of give people an idea, you know, since then, uh, we've had, you know, Kevin O'Leary of Shark Tank. We, we've had a lot of other people, big business people that are now involved or they're willing to get out in front of a crowd of marijuana business owners and talk. And so I think the big change from five years ago is just the acceptance uh, by everyone, by the public, by people in business by investors. Now, there's been other change that that hasn't been good. And some of that is tied to what I just mentioned. I think the industry is starting to lose its, what made it great in the early days. It was a scrappy uh, industry fueled by people who had a passion for what they were doing. And a different type, it wasn't the the old school type of industry. Uh, And I think that, you know, we're starting to lose some of that as it becomes more corporate, as the bigger players come in. And so while we can celebrate all this growth that we've seen and all these new opportunities and all these social equity moves that are are at least being undertaken right now, uh, and there is somewhat of a focus in some areas, there's a lot of concerns over how the industry is is changing as it matures. Well, you know, you just brought that up about the social equity, you know, emphasis that I think is just lip service, to be absolutely honest with you. So sorry, I, 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 I've been down this path with a couple of different companies who were just saying, well, can't you just find me a black farmer that will sign this leaf blazer just to put a name on a piece of paper and could give a crap less whether or not that farmer ever really was part of or participant in what they were trying to move forward. So, I mean, I think the industry, you're, I, I agree with you 100%. You know, the legacy industry seems to, it's almost as if there's an attempt to push the legacy industry out, but at the same time, you know, big pharma is going to have a real hard time gaining any credibility in this space when they have fought this space for as long as they have. I mean, it's almost like, you know, it's going to have to be some deaths out here before, and people are going to have to go away before people will recognize that maybe there's a possibility for change in a certain company. But I find it almost difficult. I would, I, I wouldn't trust any cannabis that came out of XYZ pharmaceutical company when I know that 
three years ago, XYZ Pharmaceutical Company was one of the biggest, you know, naysayers in the cannabis space. Now, all of a sudden, they're jumping aboard because they see a dime and they smell a penny. It'd be tough for the majority of consumers in this current baby boomer generation and, you know, the millennial generation and even the Xers to trust them. Um, you know, which, which I think is, is really kind of interesting because, you know, when you, it, our approach is extremely different from, you know, some other countries. I spent time in Israel back in 2010, and I've been involved in this space since 2001, long before it was Vogue. It was time that I was, you know, traveling around the country, you know, um, uh, speaking to different legislations and, and talking to different politicians, advocating for safe access for patients around the country that I really felt that I was out there on a limb by myself. That was like from maybe 2002 to 2010, 11. Then from 2011, moving forward, you know, I, I found it really kind of tough to, to seem to break the nut of those that were interested in trying to see if there was any social equity available in the space. And I still find that tough today. Do you think that there's a better attitude growing burgeoning in this industry to say, let's stop for a second and recognize that, you know, the truth behind cannabis is different than we thought it has been. It was literally something that was made illegal, not for any other reason other than as an enslavement tool to keep those brown and black people repressed. Because, you know, when you look back over time, since 1937, 80% of the people who have been incarcerated for crimes associated with cannabis are people who are brown and black. Maybe there is an opportunity for some of these businesses to allow that participation. Yeah, it's a mixed picture right now. Um, and first, thank you for all the work you did back then. That helped pave the way for where we are today. All of that work when you were the only one out there, one of a few, um, it took a lot of change over a lot of years and a lot of effort to get where we are today. Um, so that's fantastic. You were doing that for that decade and, and really paving the way for where we're at. I think uh, it's a complicated topic. Uh, I think. You know, one of the things is that there are moves for social equity in, in general and lawmakers, regulators are taking it up. It is hard to tell, you know, is it is it lip service? Is there a way to do this effectively? And we have a chance with this industry to do something different, to, to, to be a different industry. And you talk about pharmaceuticals, and I think a lot of us cringe who have been in it. We don't want that. We don't want that type of approach and that atmosphere and that way of, of running things. And that's what's at risk right now. And I think there's, you know, there is opportunity. And one of the things I'm encouraged by is that I do think, um, you know, I emerged from in my CEO position from a difficult year for us in the pandemic. Very, very difficult for our business model, even though the cannabis industry held up relative, relatively well. So I've been getting back out there externally and talking. And I'll say, talking to other executives over the past two months on a consistent basis, it is a topic that comes up in almost every conversation. So there is an awareness at the very least. That's not enough, an awareness. But that wasn't anything anyone was talking about a couple of years ago. So I have to say, I'm encouraged by that. It's not enough. But I want to acknowledge that it is absolutely on the minds of a lot of people for whatever reasons. It's on the minds of legislators. I know states are trying to do things with social equity. And some of them you know, may work and a lot of them probably won't. And there's controversy over everything. But it was not it was not baked into any laws. It wasn't even a discussion to, to make this an inclusive industry. And so I'm encouraged by that being probably in the top five 
you know, discussion areas that, that are out there in the industry that people are talking about. Now, it's not where not even close to where it needs to be. And it is it is discouraging uh, the makeup of the industry when we have this great opportunity to make it different. And when you fold in the history of what you've mentioned and how this is the laws have adversely affected some areas of the population. And then those areas, you know, those people aren't getting involved because they can't because it's all many reasons or it's very difficult. It's it's sad where we are, that there isn't more diversity in the industry. So to your question, I think there are opportunities. I think there's an awareness. Some of it absolutely is lip service, no doubt. Um, some of it, I think, is genuine. I just I, I don't know if anyone's figured out the right answer. Um, but there are there's there's more nonprofits that are emerging to to you know give funds to entrepreneurs and business owners uh, across the spectrum to to feed in inclusion in the industry and and change the dynamics of it so it's not just you know kind of operated by a certain you know type of people so I'm encouraged by that but there's a long way to go. Gotcha. Well, you know, it, you mentioned it during your what you were just saying. We we're talking about you know some of your previous conferences and you, you know, did hold the marijuana business conference, which took place. And I got to say, I was very happy to have attended back in 2017. I think it was when I was there and thought it was one of the best things I'd ever been at in life. Um, do you plan on having another conference this year? And if you, if so, would you have that in person or would you try to do that virtually? What are you thinking? Yeah, we're, we're going full steam ahead with a, a return to MJ BizCon in Las Vegas in October of this year in person. Uh, we went all virtual last year with everything we did. And, uh, but you know, the way things are shaping up with the virus, with where we're getting into the nation and a world, we think we're gonna be able to hold a, a good, you know, big industry gathering safely for everyone uh, by October. And so we're, we're, yeah, we're coming out of the gates and we're, we're talking to people every day. And I'll tell you, this industry was built on face-to-face connections. Um, you could say that for every industry that that's important, but way more so in this industry. It's, you know, people won't even do business with others unless they've met them and sat down with them for a little bit. So to lose that for the better part for more than a year has been difficult. So I think the industry is ready to get back together. And for, for MJ BizCon this year, I really want it to be a, a, a celebration. It's about business. It's about deal flow. It's about connections. But it's it needs to be a celebration this year. Like, hey, we all made it through as an industry. We not only made it through, we thrived. Yeah, there were difficulties and some companies did better than others and some are struggling. But we as an industry proved a lot and we were deemed essential in many states. We brought new users into the fold all over the place. And we probably gave people some pain relief and joy in a really, really difficult time for them personally. And so there's still this this connection with the plant and with the users, the consumers, the patients that we can be proud of. It's not just engineering, you know, a, a, a computer part that we're doing. Right. There's there's more to this than that. And I think we can celebrate that, you know. Yeah, I, I think it would I think it would be unbelievable, especially if you guys include a section on just new breakthrough information at the conference, because a lot of people don't know, you know, I was I was uh, having a did a podcast yesterday with a, a doctor who wasn't even aware of the fact that or was she was aware she did read the article. But, you know, a couple of months back, an article had come out that uh, I think, you know, mainstream medicine and one of the things that we know about mainstream medicine is that whenever there's anything transformational that happens in the medical world it's normally met with the most vehement and adamant resistance from the mainstream medical community but you know we found out that you know there's a peer-reviewed document paper out there right now that suggests that certain flavonoids may have a better anti-inflammatory effect than the 
pharmaceuticals in the marketplace right now when it comes to inflammation inside the lungs because of COVID. So therefore, cannabis may even be a drug that could help when it comes to inflammation in the lungs. That's really mind-boggling for somebody who thinks, well, how could you have something that is, that's, that's passed through the lung tissue that could be favorable, but cannabis cannabinoids, certain of them, and some of the flavonoids together seem to have this amazing anti-inflammatory effect. Yeah, that's what I'm excited for as we evolve with our research and understanding of this plant. Yes, we've done research, as you mentioned before. We funded it as, as a government here uh, and all the great work Machulam did. But I think we're we're past the tip of the iceberg, but there's a whole unexplored area of what all of this can do for people and where it can help. And I don't think we've tapped into much of that. So I expect in the coming years, hopefully, fingers crossed, that we're going to get a much better idea of how this all interacts with the human body. And I think there's going to be some fabulous findings uh, that are really going to help people. Well, as we, we, we've noticed now and we've seen over the course of the last year through this pandemic, that several more universities are starting to teach the endocannabinoid system in uh, their structure for med school students. And so they're, they're introducing this as a concept that a lot of doctors before this, even though the information has been available for the last 20 years, never bothered you to look at. But now they're starting to recognize that, you know, yes, there's something going on when we look at anandamide deficiency, which is one of the, you know, the endocannabinoids that we actually form ourselves. We know that this affects people in for different illnesses. This is now fact. This is not something that is, you know, just proper. This is something that has now been proven. So as we start to see more and more and more of that come to fore, I think that that's going to be what's really going to be the most impactful change or, or boost in this industry. you got to, you know, our baby boomer generation is the second largest generation on this in this country. And you know, all of us are slipping into that period of time when the last 10 years of our lives, we only have 10 different bottles on our medicine in our medicine cabinet that we could literally reduce the consumption of some of that by using cannabinoids instead. Mm-hmm. So I think it's an exciting time and looking forward. So you're thinking you're probably going to be able to have another uh, hold a convention in, in October? Yeah, we're going full speed ahead, working with the convention center with local officials. You know, events in general are starting to come back in various parts of the country. And, you know, as the vaccine rolls out in the next four or five months, you know, as long as that continues on its pace, I think we're going to be in good shape. Yeah. we're going to do it safely. We're going to, it's not going to look exactly like it did in the past. Um, But, you know, we, in Denver, where we're based, uh, we just got the all-star game because it moved out of Georgia for those, you know, terrible election law changes. Um, And, uh, and, you know, they're saying here that could be a packed house and that's in a couple months. So in general, I think we're going to be out of this. We're going to be able to get together as an industry, and again, just let's celebrate, give each other a pat on the back if we can't do a hug or a fist bump or whatever we can do at that time to feel safe and uh, and and look forward to the future and figure out how we're going to continue to shape this industry. So again, we can keep what's special about it so we can support research efforts, so we can support social equity and all the things that are important to all of us and make this make this different. This is our time. You know, you don't get another opportunity like this to build a new industry. Speaking of this is our time, now we're starting to see, again, the growth in the industry across the board. It used to be, you know, you had to go out west, but now, you know, you've got a lot of exciting things happening on the East Coast. The East Coast industry is starting to grow. How do you see, uh, or what would you say is the difference between the East Coast and the West Coast, and how do they, how do they differ? There's some big, big differences. Uh, you know, just in general, the West Coast, Western part of the country started out in more of a Wild West territory where they were the true pioneers. 
they were taking the risks when no one else would of, is the government going to come knocking on my door because I have a shop or a grow? Um, and so it developed way differently than on the eastern part of the country, which came along later. Um, the regulations are completely different. They're a lot stricter usually. Um, on the- <laughs> but they're a lot stricter. But then again, here in New York just passes a recreational bill that includes and allows people to smoke in public, smoke yeah. in silence. And, and New York is different, yeah. Yeah. They're going to be allowing. They're going to be allowing actual kind of not speakeasy, but they're going to be allowing you know smoke shops where you can literally go and you know socialize and actually consume on a premise. Yeah, and New York is changing the game on the East Coast. They're they're opening it up way more than these states before them in that region. So I'm really excited by what New York is doing. With you know, devil's in the details. We have to see how it rolls out, but there seems to be a lot of opportunities for new businesses in New York especially, and it's not just going to be controlled by a couple of the big ones that are already in the medical market. Uh, I believe there are social equity components of it, um, and so and, and lots of opportunities. But in general, you know, part of your question, you know, the West and East Coast markets are completely different in, in lots of ways. The people involved in the business are different. In the West, you got a lot more of the uh, old school, you know, kind of people, again, who founded the industry. In the East Coast, it is a lot of more newer uh, entrants, which also means people with more money, which also means mainstream experience, which some of that is good and some of it's not. Um, what we've seen in general is this kind of closing of opportunities for the smaller players, for the mom and pops everywhere. Uh, and that's unfortunate. And it is it has been harder on the East Coast for if you didn't have two million dollars, you know, that, that you can show that you have, you couldn't get in the industry. And that's unfortunate. Uh, New York's, I think we're still waiting to see what that looks like, but I think it's going to be more inclusive in that way, too. That's right. And what do you think about from the global stuff? I mean, I, I was really, uh, this week, I was very fortunate to be able to, to um, have a conversation with a gentleman who lives in Maryland, uh, but now lives in South Africa, who uh, was just schooled me on what's happening in South Africa, Lesotho, um, just legalized cannabis for exportation. They are not legalizing it for internal country use, though several of the four other African nations that are doing so. Uh, this gentleman was telling me that they consider Africa to be the largest consuming population of cannabis in the world. Um, that's a burgeoning market. Um, you're going to have India. You're going to have, uh, we know what China is already about doing, and China is already trying its best to corner the CBD market if they can. You know, Colombia, Spain. What do you think the international markets are going to look like? I love that question. I spent two years doing international market research for us as we expanded to more of a global company and, you know, was in, um, you know, Colombia, all across Europe and other regions of the world, including South Africa. And, you know, that's what caught me by surprise the most over the years is that all of a sudden this kind of global movement just came out of nowhere. And you had all these countries that started legalizing it's mainly medical at this point, mainly medical cannabis programs left and right in all regions. And it was shocking to me. Uh, well, we sit here in the U.S. and the government's like, no, no, no. You know, it's it's ridiculous. And they have all these other countries and they're, they're embracing it and they're they're supporting it. And and not all of them. There's been resistance in some, but they're doing it. And some of them are, are gung ho and they see it as a new economic engine. And so we've held conferences. We held a conference in Bogota. We've held them in Copenhagen. And to your point, Asia is a new frontier that's cropping up. When we look at MJ BizCon, when we look at our attendance, you know, we get people from 70 to 80 countries. 
uh, coming with China being a, a, a big one, but uh, all over the world in some of the, and I like to point out during my opening speeches, hey, you know, we got someone from Vanuatu here today, you know, and, and every year Kazakhstan, there's there's people interested everywhere. So as we see the dominoes fall internationally, this is going to become a global industry. Now, it's it's completely different all across the world. And the Canadians had some uh, some difficulties trying to build global companies and they made some mistakes and they overestimated the market. These are slow moving markets, um, but they're moving and you're seeing more countries legalize every year. And kind of I think the, that next frontier is is the recreational side. And, and I think that just like in the U.S., there will be an evolution where as they get comfortable with medical, some of these countries will eventually move to legalizing rec. It might be a while. But um, this is if you look at the long game and the long uh, picture, the big picture for this in the long term, uh, this is going to be global and you're going to see competition on who can grow it and export it. And is it going to be in South America where the conditions are ripe or is it going to be, you know, all that's going to come into play. Uh, so I'm excited to, for that uh, specifically. It's not just about the U.S. It's not just about the U.S. and Canada. This is global. And then you have Mexico, too, moving forward with legalization. That's huge. And I mean, I think when you said it's all about the competition, I mean, you know, it's like, I, I don't, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be racist when I say it this way, but I would not trust CBD product coming out of China. If you stuck it in my mouth or stuck it in my hand and said, here, you can have all you want for free. Just because I know that in some cases we've run into lots of issues with, you know, agriculture coming in from China that has, you know, tainted with a lot of pesticides and, and, you know, the fact that, you know, they are jumping on board the CBD isolate train as quickly as they can to see if they can start shipping. But I was shocked that, you know, some of these international products are already being allowed to be imported into the United States, though we've always had an importation of importation of hemp products. I'm just surprised that even now that, you know, the DEA and, and we're allowing some of this importation. Yeah, nothing surprises me anymore when it comes to the federal government. So it's there's oversights everywhere. There's policies that don't make sense. There's ones that conflict with each other. There's just no rhyme or reason to anything being done right now, including what you just mentioned. So, I mean, there's a lot to work out, right? Um, and that's if we talk about federal legalization, you know, on the global side. Yeah, before this is an interconnected international market, there's a lot. To work through um, I mean, a lot to work through to make it a, make Americans have a, a chance of this business. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, America on the on the global scene, America's falling behind. Now, it's not a gap that can't be closed. Um, but, you know, the, most of the U.S. companies have only set their sights here or maybe in Canada. Um, the Canadian companies, again, made big inroads into Europe, Latin America. They've had to pull back to some degree. But, uh, you know, the U.S. isn't leading the global cannabis conversation. It's not even involved in it. So, you know, it's, it's such a wasted opportunity in so many ways. And you just need that light bulb to go off with people in Washington who can recognize the value of this. And if their main interest is, hey, it <laughs> me look good and, and it's going to generate tax money, then fine. Whatever your interest is, let's, let's move this forward. Hopefully, they'll see this as a bigger thing and, and a bigger, greater good for people than that. Are you, are you getting any invites from anybody in D.C. to come down and just speak to them about your knowledge base? Because I, I, I just think that half the problem in D.C. is the fact that there's same thing I say with the mass with the, you know, mass exceptions, exception or acceptance is the idea that education, education, education. 
I mean, we have Congress people, we have senators who just won't even bother to listen to the facts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've had connections in D.C. I think it's, it's what you're seeing is there's just this holdout group of, of people in Congress mainly and mainly from red states that, um, you know, these are older people who grew up with a different mentality and they haven't been they haven't been strong enough. And I'll use those words. They have not been strong enough to reexamine this or to realize why they should at least, hey, let's start with a blank slate. And the good thing is, as more states legalize, especially red states, medical and then recreational, they're going to have to listen soon. You know, and I would think that by, by I mean, look, we, we change lots of transformative issues have changed America with less state inclusive policies than cannabis. I mean, you take a look at what happened when we, we decided that, yes, you know, uh, gay and trans people can marry, uh, you know, gay marriage is accepted in America. And I think we only had maybe 20 something states that accepted it before the nation said we got to do something. You know, um, uh, we can look back at almost everything that's changed in this country has changed with a with a smaller number of states than this. And right now, you got what thirty six states in the District of Columbia that have a law. Come on, that's only fourteen missing. Uh, you would think to me that uh, that we'd say, sorry, majority rules. No, it's, it, again, it's absurd. And you're right, and that's a very good point that we've had more. We've had just as much significant change federally in some areas with much less progress and momentum than we have in, in marijuana. And, you know, I, I don't know what it's going to take. I think the legalization in New York is very positive because that's the heart of, of the financial world. And, you know, honestly, what's going to move politicians? It's lobbying and money. And if you get the big investment banks and investors with this in their backyard, with recreational in our backyard, and they're clamoring and banging on the door, you know, maybe that's what it takes. I don't know. But politicians are weird creatures and you don't know what's going to move them. And the fact that you had just highlighted that despite all this, they're just like, I'm sticking my feet in the mud, almost like a baby, um, you know, just sticking to their ways is, is ludicrous. And, that, and, you know, when you said it's very funny, I laugh only a little bit. You know, there were delivery services for cannabis in New York City 10 years ago, 12 years ago. So it's not like it hasn't been in their backyard. You can't go down to Wall Street and, and you know, uh, when they stop allowing smoking inside of buildings, I'm going to tell you, you walk along the, the edges of several streets in Wall Street and that wafting smell is not that of tobacco. So but now they're going to see the, 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 what they need to be convinced to put their money behind. They're going to see the state legal operations and say, oh, this is a real industry. I, you know, that I can get behind and there's likely going to be profits. So again, it's not great that profits are, are driving changes in attitudes, but it is part of the bigger picture. And we, you know, that, that is the only thing that's going to convince some people that we need to be on our side to really get this change federally. You have a new fact book coming out, right? Is that, uh, tell us a little bit about what insights that offers. Yeah, we've been doing that for about MJ Biz, MJ Biz new fact book. Is that what it's called? Yeah, it's the marijuana business fact book. We've been doing it since 2012, and it's really it's really research on the industry. It's it's especially beneficial for people looking to get in, new entrants that are looking for to start businesses, to invest, to potentially change their careers. And we track you know sales growth. We track all the different niches and what the trends are, and um and and a state by state breakdown of what the laws are and the opportunities and the number of licenses. So. You know, one of the great things that's happened in, in recent years is there's more data and information available. When we first started doing this fact book. Um, you know, there was nothing. There was no one was tracking anything. So it was very hard to get your head around 
what is this industry? What is it all about? Uh, so we've been able to, to enhance this over the years. And it's a tool that a lot of people use for, again, business planning, uh, pitch decks, and just to understand the industry. What advice would you give someone who wants to get started in the cannabis business right now? Yeah, I mean, do your, two things. It sounds kind of trite, but do your do your homework. Like you can't just come into the industry and and think you'll pick it up easily and think it's just like where you you came from. It's so different. And I think that leads me to my next point is you have to really take some time to understand the industry, understand what it's about. The industry in New York is different from the industry in Colorado, is different from the industry in Florida, is different from the industry in California. You name it. It's so different everywhere. The people running businesses, the people involved are different. The way you do business is different. And so you've got to come into this knowing and, and open to learning about it, get your base level understanding and use your expertise in the right way. So you might have been great at your marketing job at a tech company and you maybe you've got won all these accolades and moved the, your way up. If you come into this industry, don't just rely on that. Don't have that hubris because, again, the way business is done here is different. And I can't stress that enough. So you've got to use your expertise as a foundation to enter and grow in this industry, but you can't be the know-it-all. You can't think what you used in the past will work because it won't always work. And I've seen this time and time again when people come in at all levels, from a basic level all the way up to a founder or a CEO. And if you don't do take these two steps, do your research and uh, make sure you understand the industry and then come in and continue that learning and continue to adapt how you do your job to the needs of this industry, you will likely be successful. If you don't, you'll likely fail. You know, if you had to put that crystal ball on, what do you what do you think is going to happen? In, let's say even the next two years, we've now just come out of this pandemic, and come out of this pandemic with probably more new users, new consumers than we've had in the last fifteen years. More people. I, I understand that you know when you really take a look at the industry itself, some of that money that was hesitant to get in are now starting to sniff around again. So if you had to put a crystal ball on, what would you think is going to happen in the next two years? Oh, my crystal ball is all over the board. Uh, over the last 10 years, you know, it's, I've been spot on sometimes and totally off others. It's, it's so unpredictable. But I would say, based on kind of all our experience, I'm cautiously optimistic that we will see some type of federal change by the end of next year. I don't know what that'll look like. I hope it's banking. That's the general feel is let's try and get a change to banking and open this up, which will go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to ask you real quick. Have you, you've seen this kind financial model that's mm -hmm. out of What do you think of them? That's yeah, a banking there's, there's a lot of these models out there. And and in terms of talking about specific models or, or, sure. or uh, companies or whatever, I tried to stay away from that. Um, but uh, you know, uh, there's there's always been a new model, right, for this, and it's and there are some that work. It's hard to unroll them out on a on a national level, but I I, I applaud everyone who's trying to help figure out the situation, uh, including Kind. I think that you know, but until there's a federal change, specifically with banking, this is always going to be an issue, no matter what solution comes up. So I think that is the the most logical, most realistic step. You know, hopefully it goes further than that, but that will open the doors for the industry in many, many ways. And, you know, if, if we can get changes with banking, if there's anything with 280E so people can actually make the money in this industry instead of having the government take it all away, even though it says it's illegal to operate. But, yeah, we'll let you operate, but we're going to also tax you. Yeah, we're going to tax the hell out of you, yeah. 
Yeah, but I'm hoping within by the end of next year. Now, again, nothing would surprise me. So what we were talking earlier, if if it, this just kind of stalls or something else comes up that, that gets in the way or there's that resistance, you know, it's not a slam dunk. But we have the stars are aligned in a way they've never been aligned before for some meaningful change. And so I, who am a natural, uh, I have natural skepticism as a former journalist and everything I do. I'm I'm switching that off and saying I'm optimistic. I think that now's the time we can do this. And I'm hoping there'll be some significant change, you know, that this time next year. Okay, well, one more time. If somebody wanted to, to uh, tap into your resources, where do they go? Yeah, the main portal is mjbizdaily.com. And from there, you can check out mjbizcon. We're launching registration soon. And, uh, and check out everything else we do. And again, uh, you are planning on holding your next conference in October timeframe? Yep. We're, we're in the second half of October and in the Las Vegas Convention Center. And they're welcoming us with open arms and we're ready to we're ready to rock. Super. Well, I can't tell you. Thank you so much for being here and sharing some of your insight to all of our listeners here at the Let's Be Bought Motel. I think the key is to make sure that we, you know, keep telling the story and we tell it in in the ways like the way you tell it. So thank you so much for what you're doing. Um, I, I really, you know, applaud your optimism. I, I hope that, you know, this democratic, you know, administration got both the Senate and Congress. Come on now. If there's not, if there's a chance that they can pull this off, this is the chance to pull it off. So uh, no, sir, anytime you ever want to talk about anything, you always have a home here at Let's Be Bought in Montel. And I can't thank you enough for sharing with all of our viewers there. Make sure that all of you out there, remember, tune in to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Are you dealing with best life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now. Well, then let's go. Welcome to your new favorite podcast, Hot Happy Mess, hosted by me, your girl, Zuri Hall. We are celebrating our magic in the middle of life's messes. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Listen to the Hot Happy Mess podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.